0: Hopefully you have your Bibles with you, and if you do, if you could open them up to uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. If you didn't bring your Bible, there should be one right in front of you in the back of that pew, and uh, I want to encourage you to have that open. Let's look at the very specific words that God has inspired the author, which we don't know who it is. We don't know who the author of 1 and 2 Kings is. But God has inspired that person and uh, that man to write these words, and it's important that we fix our focus and our minds right on it, and it helps as a check and balance to my preaching, right? For you guys to know if what I'm saying is actually correct or delusional, and it might go back and forth periodically. Let me give you an image to hold into your mind as we begin this morning, okay? You've probably seen pictures or videos of this, you might even have seen this live, but Most every boxing event, there's the weigh-in time. I don't know historically if it's always been like this, but now whenever I see this, a video or I see a picture of it, you've got the two boxers or the two UFC fighters and they are toe-to-toe, nose-to-nose, staring at each other. And I want you to picture that scene going on because we're talking this morning about the confrontation of King Ahab with elijah and it's going to set up an incredible battle an incredible fight we're going to look at lord willing next week but i want you to picture ahab and elijah toe to -to toe nose to nose and i want you to picture ahab with all of this malevolent rage and hatred who despises elijah picture the face and the looks and the posture of, of aggressiveness in him and then i want you to picture the man of god The servant, Elijah, calm, confident, courageous, not needing theatrics. At peace with his knowledge of who God is. Take that imagery. Let's hold it in our minds throughout this message. Let's see if it can kind of guide us into really understanding how ought we to be in the face of conflict, in the face of persecution, when it seems like the world has come against us and accusations are flying because of our faith in Jesus, how should we respond? That's the tension to hold in our minds this morning. You know, a Bloody Mary is not only an alcoholic beverage. Some of you know that. Maybe you know that a little too well. Hopefully you don't. But it's not only an alcoholic beverage. It was a nickname for the brutal, murderous Queen Mary of England. And the time period is 1550s, 1557 specifically, 1558. Mary hated Protestantism. When she came to the throne, it was dominated by Protestantism. Her goal was to return England to papal-dominated, centric Roman Catholicism. So she had Bibles removed from churches. That's why I want you to have your Bibles. It is an unbelievable blood-bought privilege. People died so that we would have the freedom of our Bibles. And she took them from the churches. She took married clergy, forcibly separating them from their wives, and evangelical Christian leaders were put to death. Bloody Mary sentenced two of them to be burned to death. Here's their names, the famous... Preacher Hugh Latimer and the Bishop of London, Nicholas Ridley, Ridley and Latimer were burned together, and the way that they do that, the way that they rather did that was they took a wooden stake, they put it right on right at the end of Broad Street in Oxford, and they tied the two Christian giants back to back, roped them to this stake, and then mounted tinder. And wood all around them gave them the opportunity to recant of their faith. And should they not recant, lit the pile of wood on fire. Well, they did not recant. And the fire was lit and crowds were all around, men, women, and children watching this. Latimer, almost 80 years old, was the first to die. And the onlookers heard him, and there's a quote from him. As he was dying in the flames, he shouted out, Listen, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out. Those are the dying words of Hugh Latimer, Christian pastor. Well, unfortunately for Ridley the wood had been badly placed so that he suffered terribly, his legs burning off of his body before the rest of him was even touched by the flames. All right, now listen. What's happening in you right now as I have just told you that story? Come on, shift your minds into gear. Interact. What was going on? Well, here's what Leonard Ravenhill once wrote many, many years ago. He says, we love the old saints. We love missionaries and martyrs and reformers. And we have our Luthers and our Bunyans and our Wesleys and Asburys. We'll write their biographies and reverence their memories, frame their epitaphs. We'll do, we will do anything except imitate them. We cherish the last drop of their blood, but watch intensely the first drop of our own is that what's going on in you this morning honestly what would we do this is so personal to me i really do think i really believe this coveted freedom in america it's not going to last forever i don't know how you could be a student of god's word and not realize that persecution is coming What would you do? What would I do? What will we do if our lives really do truly hang on the confession of our faith? Will we have the courage to serve our God no matter what the cost? Will we stand courageously defending God's glory? Do we do it now around the water coolers at work, the school cafeteria tables? Or when the parents drop their little ones off at the bus stops? In that moment of persecution and all the eyes have fallen on you and all the voices have silenced waiting to hear, what's your view? What's your response on this controversial subject, whatever it is? Will you at that point declare your love for Jesus Christ? Friends, have you noticed yet, if you've been here, this is part seven. Have you noticed yet in this entire series, Elijah's not preached one single sermon? He's not taught a Bible study. He's not gone on an evangelistic crusade. All Elijah has done is simply serve God when no one else would and fearlessly trusting him in every single situation and defending God's glory. That's all he's done. And some of us in here, we might think, like D.L. Moody, you heard a few weeks ago, I'm just an ordinary person. What can I do for God? I don't have training. Well, God really doesn't need your on-board experience to do what he wants to do. He really does delight in taking the weak and using them in strong ways for his glory. Elijah, along with countless Christian men and women, look on the, the screen behind me if you want to turn to your Bibles, he, he, Hebrews 11. Here's what, countless cloud of witnesses, many were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. You're going to read about, so hear about somebody in a minute that just experienced this. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. There were stone sawn in two. That's the traditional explanation of how the prophet isaiah was killed he was hiding from those who had come to kill him the wicked king he hid in the hollow of a tree and they found him and sawed him in two while he was in the tree that was the the traditional way of how isaiah from our Old Testament was martyred. They were stoned, sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. You know what the writer of Hebrews is saying? And it's a personal message to us. We've got, we're in an arena called life, the kingdom of God. And all around us are countless men and women and teenagers that have put their lives on the altar and suffered, and some of them died, and they are up in the stadium seats cheering us on, saying, run your race, stay on the altar, put it all to God's hands, and whatever the cost is, stay there. We've shown you how to do it. You know, estimates are that there are more people suffering persecution in the name of Christ today than ever before in human history. Now, listen, let me ramp that up because one study says this, that there is more suffering and people dying for Christ today than in all of human history combined. And we are nearly utterly untouched in America. Yet all around the world, people are suffering and dying For Jesus Christ when that comes to our shores will we be ready that's part of my my conviction that myself my family and our church family we've got to be made ready and the way that you get ready for the events is to do constant relentless training how do you defend God's glory now we'll prepare you for when persecution comes Well, we can learn a lot from Elijah, and we can see how courageously he stood in the face of danger. So let's look first at the condemnation of Ahab. Ahab's the wicked king of Israel. He's the top person in Israel, the northern kingdom. And he comes, verse 17 of chapter 18, when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? Is it you, you troubler of Israel? Now listen, it's not really that surprising That both Obadiah and Ahab have the same question to Elijah when they see him, is it you? Now we're we're dominated by the internet. We're dominated by text and picture messages. If there's a most wanted criminal, it can virtually get around the world through the Internet. They didn't have any of that back then. Ahab probably saw Elijah once in his life, and it was so shocking that probably he didn't even remember specific characteristics. Because Elijah levels God's judgment on him and then disappears well, so it's not that surprising that Ahab comes to Elijah after Obadiah goes to fetch him and says, is it really you, Elijah? Well, Elijah sort of stands out. Look here, one, of the, uh, one of the descriptions of him, 2 Kings 1.80, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist, kind of John the Baptist-like. So he's going to stick out. His picture, his appearance will stick in your mind, but... While Obadiah calls him, my Lord, a term of respect, my master, Ahab, look what he says, calls him troubler of Israel. Now, friends, listen, when's the last time someone has called you troubler of America or troubler of your family or troubler of Cornerstone? There are a few of us here for that one. I'm one of them. Troubler of your neighborhood. When's anybody ever, you, you may, Ken, you may be a troubler, but I'm asking, when's the last time somebody's called you that? It's archaic terminology. This morning. Yeah. <laughs> and we know who called you that. She's sitting right next to you. So it's an odd phrase to modern ears. And it really doesn't sound that offensive. I mean, come on, sticks and stones, you know, Ahab, let's get something with some meat on it here. Well, let's get our modern ears off and put on ears that Elijah would have had. And all of a sudden, it's a whole lot worse than it originally appears. A troubler in the Hebrew is someone who stirs the waters a car, is the Hebrew name, who brings about resentment, danger. Hatred. In short, here's what Ahab is doing. He's saying all of this famine, all of this suffering from this drought, Elijah, it's your fault. You're the troubler of Israel. It's a little bit similar to what we're hearing now from Eagles fans who are blaming Andy Reid for everything. I don't even know where that came from. I have to trust that was the inspiration of the Lord. Returning to our text. The most politically powerful man in Israel is yelling at Elijah, pointing a finger, eyes probably wide with rage, probably spitting vehemence all over him, saying all of this suffering, all of this death, it's your fault, Elijah. You are the troubler of Israel. All right, but it gets worse. So let me take you a little deeper. The only person... Before this point in Scripture that has ever been accused with that phrase, troubler of Israel, the only person you've known his name, his name is Achan. You remember Achan, right? Of Jericho infamy. Achan whom when God vanquished Jericho, who was thought to be, thought themselves to be militarily impregnable. God demolishes their walls. They go in under God's clear and severe commandments. Don't take any of the spoils. Here's Achan, who begins to look at, fixate on all of the wonderful luxury items that he's never had coveting begins to take place in his heart. And he says, what harm could there be? In fact, I deserve this. I fought in this battle. I've been faithful to God. I will take a little of the spoils and I will dig a hole below my tent and I will bury it. Nobody will know there is no harm. We do this all the time. But God says... Somebody has profaned the entire community. You think churches can't be affected by one person's sin? Evidence to the contrary all through Scripture. And God points out to Joshua. Why did you, or Joshua says rather to Achan, once God points out what had happened, why did you bring trouble on us? There's that same word that Ahab uses with Elijah. But it goes on. The Lord brings trouble. There's that word again on you today. And all Israel stoned Achan with stones. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. That's the same Hebrew word that Ahab uses with Elijah. Even more interesting, the words trouble and Achan come from the same Hebrew word. You want to know what Ahab is really saying to Elijah? Elijah, you're the Achan of Israel. And now we begin to see the full force of his threat. And just as all Israel put... Aken to death and stone him. I'm pronouncing on you by calling you the troubler of Israel. I'm pronouncing you're going to die, Elijah. This is a charge of treason. You deserve to be put to death. You deserve capital punishment. This is what you have in store. Now you're standing, you're Elijah before your king of Israel. And he's telling you, you're the Achan of Israel. You're going to die. Talk about the heat that has just sprung up on the altar. How are you going to react? When we lay our lives on the altar and we serve our God fully and we defend his glory, we will be accused, we will be charged with all sorts of horrible reputation-damaging Things. When I worked as a mental health counselor years ago, I was very, very public about my faith in Jesus Christ. You just can't, when you really are a Christ follower, friends, you cannot compartmentalize your faith. You can't take your faith off when you go to work and then put it back on when you come home. That's called double minded. We're going to see it next week. But I was adamant about my faith. And I had the opportunity to lead some of the residential teens to put their faith into Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, one day I go to work and the director of the entire institution calls me into his office. That's not usually a good thing. And I I knew what it was because I had just led one of the teens who was struggling with homosexuality to the Lord. And he heard about it and he called me into his office and he explained to me very, very clearly with no mincing of words that I cannot talk about my Christian beliefs with the teens and that I was proselytizing and it was something that I could be fired for. Now listen, immediately, this is my career. This was my full-time job. This is what I thought I was going to be doing for my life at that point. And it brought me to a crossroads, a crisis of faith. What am I going to do? Well, you want to know what to do when you get to that crossroads, you go to the Word of God. You don't go to Facebook, you don't go to your friends, you don't go to your wife, your husband, your parents, until you go to the Word of God. Then you seek out godly counsel. And the scriptures (coughs) encouraged me, be wise as a serpent, don't be pugnacious, don't be obnoxious. Gentle as a dove. And know that Jesus Christ has given me all authority to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the triune God. I've got God's authority. And so I worked as hard as I could. I did the very best job I could. And I continued to live my faith openly, looking for whatever opportunity God would open up for me. And God established me in his favor. What do you do when threats come to you because of your Christian faith? Will they overwhelm? Will they intimidate? When your Ahabs come to you and blame the trouble on you, what will be your response? Will you mute the message of the gospel, the only hope that the world has, and compromise? Or will you have the confidence that Elijah Demonstrates. Do you remember a few minutes ago I told you about the martyrdom of Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley? I want you to listen. There's three parts to this story. Here's part two. Ridley's death, remember? His legs burned off before he was... He succumbed to the flames in absolute pain. It moved the crowd. This is recorded, by the way. You can get on the Internet and hear this. Read it. It moved the crowd to tears. Hundreds moved to tears. But it moved... And listen, the ousted Protestant Bishop Thomas Cramner to fear. It wasn't long before under threat that Queen Mary had her authorities come to get him. And under the threat of being burned like Latimer and Ridley, he renounced his Protestant faith. He signed the recantation papers. listen. Cramner was a giant in the faith. But when persecution came to his door, it filled his heart with fear and he recanted of his faith in Jesus. But because he was so influential, Queen Mary said, even if you did sign those papers, you're still going to be sentenced to death. And five months after Ridley and Latimer on the very same spot, on Broad Street he was tied to a stake standing in the middle of that wood pile surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of people he refused to read the recantation that his hand had signed instead boldly stating that he was a Protestant he was a believer in Jesus Christ though a cowardly one and then he declared and let me give you a quote For as much as my hand offended, writing contrary to my heart, my hand shall be the first to be punished. And true to his word, as the fires were lit, he held out his hand that had signed that recantation and let the flames burn it away. How will Elijah respond in the face of this Threat, this accusation, this charge of treason, will he back down and recant? Or will he have the confidence to go forward in powerfully courageous action? What will we do in that moment? Verse 18, and he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. See, Elijah proclaims confidently the truth to Ahab. Listen, I'm not the one. I'm not the Achan of Israel. You are, Ahab. You're the one that has brought the trouble to our nation. You've committed two crimes. You've brought the trouble. Let me point them out to you. And he begins to confront him. You've abandoned first the commandments of the Lord. Now, listen, what does that mean? Does that mean, like so many of us, this what you used to be so deeply into? studying and meditating and reading it sat on your lampstand next to your bed for months gathering dust. Is that what it means to abandon the commandments of the Lord? I I don't really think, that's a sign of it. That's an indication of it, but that's not what it means most centrally. To abandon God's rule of life, that's what this is. To abandon God's rule of life, friends, listen, is to abandon God himself. That's how inextricably linked the word of God is to the person of God. If you will not study God's word, if you will not live by God's word, then you cannot love God. One only has to study Psalm 119 to find that conclusion. You've abandoned the commandments of the Lord because Ahab forgot something in the history of Israel that Israel had been purchased, redeemed, bought out of slavery to Egypt by God himself. God made the purchase. He paid the purchase price. And he purchased Israel from an enslaver. And he brought them out to be a people for himself and he made Israel a freed people. Listen, a freed people, but not a free people. There's a big difference. You put your faith in Jesus Christ, we're going to celebrate it in a few minutes. That he's blood bought you. His blood from the cross has purchased you. And he's purchased you out of slavery to sin. Out of being a bond slave to the dungeon of sin. Therefore, sin cannot master you unless you voluntarily walk back into that cage. But God has freed us not to live any way we want for our own desires, for our own glory. God has bought us. He owns us to be a people for himself, to bring glory to him, to further his will in this earth called the kingdom of God. We're not a free people. We're a freed people. And Ahab forgot that. And he thought to himself, along with the kings before him, we can live any way we want. which inevitably leads to the second charge that Elijah gives them. You've not only abandoned God through the commandments of the Lord, you've abandoned the commandments of the Lord, you've abandoned God, and then you've followed the Baals. Listen, when we abandon God's commands, when we abandon God, we will inevitably turn to a God substitute. There is no other option. It's too little taught that we are created to worship every single human being. And not only are we created to be worshipers, we're created to worship at all times. Worship is as alive in the world, unfortunately, as it is in the church. They're just worshiping a God substitute. It's hardwired into our souls for believers and non-believers alike. And if we're not going to worship Yahweh, Elijah says, you're going to worship a God substitute. It was the Baals for Israel. Did you notice the plural? Look at your text. Did you notice you followed the Baals? Isn't that a little mysterious? Not you've followed Baal. I've only introduced so far. To this series that there's Baal. But Baal had many manifestations. They, the manifestations, all of these lower deities were as diverse as the communities of people. This is why John Calvin once wrote that the human heart, it's a factory of idols. Our hearts churn out diverse God substitutes. He writes, every one of us from his mother's womb are experts in inventing idols. You don't need to be trained. You don't need to apprentice in idol factory manufacturing. It comes on board of the sin nature. We create gods. We custom make them for every need we have, every pleasure we crave. And we find ourselves right back into the misery of bondage. You know, December 2004, a little over seven years ago, a Chinese pastor known as Uncle Z was in prison, allegedly, according to Chinese authorities, for possessing a forged passport. But that carries with it a typical six-month prison sentence. And despite thousands of letters to the government, Uncle Z was not released And he spent seven and a half years there. It wasn't his first prison sentence. You see, Uncle Z, his real name is Pastor Zhang. He founded a church. Listen, it has 10 million members. You don't think God's alive in China? He's doing an incredible work. 10 million members, and because of that ministry, they have repeatedly put him in prison behind bars. You're seeing a picture of it. Let me give you a quote from Uncle Z. He says, I'm happy that you and others tried to arrange for my release, but in one way, I'm happy that you failed. You almost made a big mistake. If you had been successful, there would be no church in that prison today. You see, he explains that you can't have what we have, prison bands that go into Northampton prison to declare the glories of Christ. You can't do that in China. You can't have women and men doing Bible studies in in prison in China. He says, no one can go to the prison as an outreach ministry. I consider myself and I treat myself as one who is a missionary. The difference is that God simply has called me to preach to prisoners. Listen, the next time you're praying for God to deliver you out of a difficult situation, find discernment to see if God's put you there to further his glory. See, Elijah had this confidence, the same that Uncle Z had. He had this confidence to know that God had called him to defend and declare his glory and lead Israel out of the bondage therein to Baal religion, and it gave him unparalleled courage. That's the third point this morning, the courage of Elijah. You know, kings, you know this, right? Those of you who have to work under a manager or under a CEO or a president of your company or a VP. Listen, those in leadership positions, they don't really like taking orders. They don't appreciate it. And kings aren't used to it. In fact, what they're used to, what is the norm, is that their subjects grovel. They literally hold your life into their hands And their subjects cringe at any hint of their displeasure. Elijah displayed no fear. He was so utterly confident in Yahweh his God. And what God had sent him to do, that it gave him unparalleled courage. Courage enough to challenge the entire pagan spiritual leadership of Israel to a contest. Look at verse 819. Now therefore send... He's saying this to Ahab. He's giving him a command. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. You know what that means, right? To eat at Jezebel's table. It means that the state was sponsoring that religion. This is why the Evangelical Free Church even began Because our forefathers and our foremothers, our patriarchs and matriarchs who lived in Scandinavian countries had to worship at state churches. That's the only churches they had. And it was the state church that mandated what doctrine you taught and the state church that mandated what practices you had. So anybody, whether they're a Christian or not, had rights to the table of communion. And our patriarchs and our matriarchs said, no, this is not biblical. And they left those countries and came to America where they could worship in freedom. And the buzz phrase of the E-free that endures today is, where stands it written? Listen, don't tell me what your opinion is because I'm not interested. Tell me what God's opinion is and we'll try to live it. And they merged with another denomination that had come from a similar situation into the evangelical free. This was a state-sponsored religion, Baalism. Jezebel underwrote it from the coffers of Israel. And, And Elijah says to Ahab, gather all Israel to me. Now, how confident is that? How courageous is that? All right, have you ever been with your unbelievers, your unbelieving friends? And all of a sudden, a subject comes up, and you defend God's glory, and everybody stops to look at you. Or maybe one of your, uh, your unbelieving friends say, you know, communicates to you, I'd like to get together with you because you said something the other day that I, I'm, I'm not really sure I agree with. And all of a sudden, anxiety begins to ripple through our hearts. We kind of hope they come in, work, they call in sick that, to work that day and somehow avoid this confrontation Listen, gather all Israel. To me, this is courage. This is courage that's born out of confidence. When you are confident in God and in what God's asked you to do, it will put a courage in you that will let you serve anywhere in the world and do anything that God says. And Elijah knows he's been sent to defend God's glory. He knows Baal is a dead God and that Yahweh, Elohim, is the one true God. So Ahab, bring me all the prophets, all 850 of them. And I'll even give you home base advantage because you've got a nice, shiny new altar on top of Mount Carmel. And the Lord's altar is in ruins. I'll even give you every opportunity. Meet me with all of Israel right on top of the mountain. And it's one prophet of God against 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah. And what we learn is that you stand with the Lord, you're always in the majority. One against 850 is incredibly, overwhelmingly good odds to the one who trusts in God. Have you ever seen how great the obstacle is before you? Your eyes have gotten fixated and focused on this. We'll never be able to raise the money. We'll never be able to get this person to come to Christ. My marriage will never change. It's been years and years of this misery. And your eyes get onto the obstacle and all of a sudden your confidence in God's power begins to erode. Listen, when you know how great God is and your eyes return to him, then circumstances do not look like an obstacle. Don't you know somebody that's struggling with an addiction? Will they ever be free? Pray and trust in God. That many, those many years of your painful marriage, listen, God can change them in a moment. Pray. Pray. That heart that seems impenetrable to the gospel, it could be made into fertile soil. So pray, whatever situation that seems too big for you is a Goliath that is easily fallen by by our God. So pray, that's courage, born out of confidence. So look at what Ahab does in verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. The king obeys Elijah. Do you know how odd that is? Some people would explain that Ahab obeys Elijah because he's so desperate. He wants the drought to end. It's been so terrible. Whatever it takes, I'm just going to do what you say if that's going to bring an end to the drought. That's how they explain this. And while it is true, the circumstances, it can bring us to desperation where we will try something. I think the better explanation is that the power of our sovereign God was at work in the heart of the king. He does hold the king's heart in his hand, according to Proverbs. And God had Ahab on the throne for a time like that, just like he did the Pharaoh in Egypt. And as wicked as Ahab was, he was there for a a reason, for a purpose, and God is going to bring him to further his own fame. And this is the confidence of Elijah that brought him such great courage. Well, you know, I've told you two parts of the Queen Mary story. Let me close with this. Something happened that she never, ever anticipated. The unexpected courage of the martyrs when they were dying in flames and in many, many ways fueled the public masses to support the Christians. This was nothing new. Nero experienced the same thing as he would take Christians and dip them into tar and then tie them onto poles and light them on fire for his garden festivals. That happened. As he took Christians who would not recant and tied them behind chariots and ran them through the streets of his city until they died... And as he held them up on the crosses and crucified them, all it did was galvanize the masses to further the gospel. Nobody seems to learn this. Certainly Queen Mary didn't. So in 1558, she finally caught on. And she made the decision to burn the Christian heretics away from the public eye. But by then, it was too late. England was ignited to embrace the Christian message in the Protestant church. And we're going to find the same thing about to happen with Elijah. What can one man do when his soul is ignited with a passion to defend the glory of God? What can you do? Well, maybe the better question, what can God do through you? when he lights you on fire for his glory. You know, I'm hearing a lot of people. It's encouraging because it's the power of God's word. A lot of people are saying, "Pastor Tim, I want to live so fully for God. How do I do this?" Well, I think that qu- the answer to that question is probably beyond the scope of this sermon. But let me just tell you, it begins with a wholehearted commitment to serve God. Will you do that? Will you say to God, God, I am yours. I don't know what you're going to ask me to do, but I know that you're good and you will never ask me to do anything that's beyond your ability to do it in me. I will trust. Take my life and use it. Can you do that first step with wholehearted Conviction of intent and watch what God will do in your life. Likely, likely, He will keep you right where you are and begin to spread His glory and bring the kingdom of God to bear. Let's wait and see what happens. Lord, thank you for Elijah. Thank you for the challenge in our lives and the encouragement, Lord. Lord, I pray for my friends. I pray for me. Lord, that we would walk with you, that we would have the confidence that Elijah had because he knows who you are. He's walked with you. You've trained him. You've prepared him. He knows his God. Lord, may we know you through your word. And may we know you because we've walked with you for a long time. And may that confidence that we have in you, Lord, spread into our hearts with a courage that is unparalleled, that can stand In the face of our enemies, those who are persecuting us and not return insult to injury, but return beauty of the gospel to proclaim and defend your glory. Lord, help us to do that. Father, I pray, teach us, give us that confidence, give us that courage. And when the fires of that altar that we're laying on, when they get hot, which they will, Let our cloud of witnesses keep us there and run the race no matter what the cost. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name.